Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and the videocast where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world. Speaking of traveling the world, we're actually right now in Taipei, Taiwan, just for uh, three more days, actually, and then we're heading over to the Philippines. Uh, so we're exploring uh, Asia currently. Last year, we were exploring South and Central America. Next year, tentatively, we're planning to explore Middle East and Africa. So we'll see how that all pans out. And as we're traveling, we love interviewing uh, fellow digital nomads, fellow world travelers, and fellow entrepreneurs. And I have one here on the show here today. And her, our guest today, her name is Kyrie Melnick. And she's actually the co-founder of 7 and 7. For those of you who don't know, it's actually a series of annual conferences that are held appropriately enough in every single continent in the world, uh, including North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Australia, Africa, and Antarctica. Uh, so I'm super excited to uh, learn all about the conferences and also learn all about the co-founder. Um, um, our guest today is actually from... Canada as well, and from the same province as me. So go Canada, <laughs> but a different city. I'm from Vancouver and she's over there in Kelowna, but she's not in Kelowna and I'm not in Vancouver. I'm in Taipei and she's in Mexico City. So this is the life of a digital nomad. You never know where we'll end up in the world. Uh, and she's actually gonna be heading over there to Medellin, Colombia to do the upcoming conference, uh, which is being held in Medellin, one of the big digital nomad hotspots in the world, uh, October of this year. Uh, so if you haven't got your tickets, make sure you grab it if you listen to this pre-October. So, um, Kyrie, why don't we get to know you a little bit better? How are you doing over there in Mexico City? And why don't you do a quick little uh, share about yourself, maybe a couple minutes about yourself? Sure, sure. Um, I am currently in Mexico City just because we have a few people down here and we've heard lots of things. There's people raving about it. So that's generally the way that we travel. We just listen to friends and if they're in town, then we're like, all right, we like you, we'll hang out. So um, that's what brought us here. Um, currently, I am traveling with my partner, Hannah, and we've been together for the last almost year and nine months. Um, I'm gonna probably mess that up. Somewhere around a year, two years, year and a half, I don't know. Um, but prior to my digital nomad life, I was living in Canada. I grew up in Kelowna. Um, as Ricky said, which is about three hours west of Vancouver. And it was a small town and nothing too crazy or exciting happening. There was a nice lake, um, so, <laughs> so I can't complain. But I got out of there as soon as I turned 18 and I moved to Germany and I was an au pair and I watched a little girl for a year. Um, and that's kind of where I got my hands in childcare aid and I'm like, I can do that, but I'm gonna put a pin in it for later. So, so I got that out of the way, which was quite nice, um, but lovely. It was such a great experience and it was kind of what started my, my travel spark. And then uh, from there, just went jumping around the world a little bit, went back to Canada for university, got a, a bachelor's in commerce at the University of Victoria, um, did a semester in Indonesia, which was really interesting and cool. Um, and then was back there working in tech. I was working in a company called Unbounce in Vancouver. And, and that's how, uh, that's how I kind of transferred into remote work. So I was doing their conferences and their planning, um, of an annual event they have called the call to action conference. And then moved into customer support when I was like, I want to go travel. I can do this from Cambodia. So they're like, oh, okay. Like, you know, the product, we like you, we'll keep you around. Um, so that's how I started my nomad adventures. I kind of convinced my company to make me go remote and that was cool. And then it's been kind of all over the place since. I've been doing it for about three years now. 
Awesome, awesome. You know, I think our paths were meant to cross because Unbounce, uh, you know, when you mentioned the name, I got, uh, you know, sparked up a little bit there because I was an event producer back in Vancouver and Unbounce was actually one of the sponsors at uh, one of my events and I've been cool. to the call to action uh, event at um, the Woodward's building on Hastings. Uh, so, you no, know. I planned that one. That was, so I, was, there. I was involved was awesome. in the first, in the first two that. years. Thanks, we so cool. We, we met. met. We didn't meet. A we might have. We might have. Who knows? I was. I was the one running around like a crazy person. So you probably didn't catch me too much. But that's so cool. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And shout out to the Unbounce team. They do amazing <laughs> landing pages and a, a, definitely a great company. Ollie and uh, Rick and the team over there at Unbounce. Uh, so Kyrie, uh, obviously now uh, now you're focused on uh, being a desert nomad, traveling around the world, and uh, creating um, all these amazing conferences and events. Tell us about the digital nomad journey and that side of uh, your life. Uh, because obviously when you're an event producer back in um, Vancouver, a lot different than event producer in the seven continents. So walk us through when the actual digital nomad, the nomadic start, the nomadic part of that started. Sure, sure, yeah. So as I mentioned, it was, um, I was working at Unmounts and transitioned into remote role in Cambodia to cover the evening shift for their uh, customer support which is also a very good tip. If anyone wants to try to move remote and you're going to cover a different time zone, that is a huge asset. So definitely push that. Um, and then worked with them for a little while until I got on my feet and then did a little bit of freelancing. And then I did a quick stint at Buffer as well for, for six weeks. Um, and, then, and then from there, it was just back into freelancing again. And then um, 7 and 7 was created Oh, like three years ago, almost to the month, actually. It was created at a conference called WDS. Um, we, were, we were there, and it's just a, an event that's full of very creative minds and really cool people. And uh, me and my co-founder are standing in a donut line, Blue Star Donuts. If anyone's had them, you should go there just for the donuts. Um, but if not, uh, you, have a, you have an experience to experience if you're in Portland. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, we were standing in line, and... and we were talking about conferences and I'm like, I've planned conferences and we we're talking about the state of the digital nomad world and how I was just um, kind of approaching the world. I was going to move into being in the digital nomad. It was probably about six, five months before I actually, or two, maybe two or three months before I actually went on the road and I couldn't find any resources whatsoever for women or LGBTQ or anyone that wasn't the typical like white developer in Chiang Mai male um so so i was like well where where are all our people like what is this and, and my co-founders actually have been digital nomads before the term existed so they've been doing it for like 10 years um so so they've got the knowledge they kind of like took me under their wing and taught me their ways um but i had all the event experience and i said hey how about how about we do this this conference we can do like seven conferences on seven continents in seven years why not um, it's a bucket list dream for all digital nomads and why don't we do something important as we as we go so that's kind of how it was created in, in the donut line and then it's kind of taken me and we've gone with it ever since so this year is our third year which is really exciting we've already done two 
Yeah, definitely big congratulations there. You never know what will happen when you uh, stand in one of those donut lines, especially in Portland. <laughs> I know those two big uh, donut chains. Uh, so it's, it's quite a funny backstory. And here you are three years later, having produced two successful conferences. And the concept is very simple, obviously. Uh, you know, seven conferences, seven years, seven continents. But obviously logistics, getting yeah. the team, uh, getting the attendance, getting the venue, the marketing the event, monetizing the event is a lot more complicated. So. Uh, walk us through that process, especially from the idea, the donut shop, uh, the donut shop idea, to the actual implementation of that first conference. How did that idea transition to the first conference? Tell us about that journey. Totally, totally. So I think the key is to have um, a group of people that are as crazy as you to be like, yeah, let's do it. And then it just snowballed really fast. So we were incorporated within like a month and a half. Um, our team is very complimentary. So the other co-founders are Kit and Nick and they're a couple. Um, and Nick is an app developer and he's a finance crazy human. So he takes care of all of that, which is perfect. Um, I don't like numbers, so I just send them to him. And then uh, Kit is, is wonderful. She's a social media manager and marketing. So she does all of our um, speaker applications. She talks to people about who's presenting, kind of sets up the stage. Um, and then I do all the logistics and the actual creation of the conference part, not the, as much of people aspect. Um, but I love people too. <laughs> so yeah, so the first year is just kind of like, we were just expecting, okay, like worst case scenario, we have five of our good friends here, we'll just hang out in Bangkok, like who knows what's gonna happen. Um, and at that time I was living in Cambodia, so I jumped over quite a bit to try to find a venue. Um, and I think, it just, when we found the venue, I was like, this is it, this is perfect. And it was amazing. And the first year, I think we had about 60 people attend, which was more than we thought would happen. Um, we're limiting it at 100. So so that's intentional. It's to keep the conversations um, authentic and so people can meet each other. It's very much about connection and community. So uh, we don't want to go to the conference of like 2,000 people where you get a few business cards and you forget. like. 100 people's names that you've met. So it's very, very curated in that way and, and kind of like a little little family. Like a lot of people from 7 and 7 have either created businesses together or travel together or um, like I said, we've run into them all over the world. We were just in Playa del Carmen a few months ago with like 15 of us. So it's just, it's a cool little, a cool little family. Um, but yeah, in regards to logistics, so I guess the first I was maybe a little naive. I'm like, oh, I plan conferences in Vancouver, like <laughs> speaking with people who plan conferences and like can speak English and you know, the, the language barriers and the cultural barriers weren't, weren't existent. Um, and I think no matter, the biggest lesson I learned in planning events and conferences internationally is just patience. I think people have a um, very different understanding of timelines sometimes. And, um, it's not going to work the same way it does in Canada where like you have, you know, the last three months, four months push where you're like, Oh, I can get this all done. Cause it's just, it'll take two days or it'll take a week. It's like, no, this will take a few months. So, um, I think that was maybe my biggest learning curve in logistics, but yeah, the, the first year was really, really good. And then we had our second year in Barcelona last year, um, which was even better. And then this year we have it in, in Medellin, Colombia, which will, will be even better. So we have four more years to go after that, which is a little crazy to think about, but exciting too. So tell us about uh, the vision and the reality, because a lot of us who are conference event producers, we have this big maybe uh, vision. And then the reality turns out very different in terms of 
not necessarily in size, but in terms of how it looks like, uh, it, like obviously logistics and uh, kind of like things you might have added or deleted or speakers, etc. So tell us about the difference between the vision and the reality over the last few years. Yeah, totally. So I think, I think the vision is like, yes, we have 100 people, we can, we can get 100 people. But then you realize that you're like, these are digital nomads. They're like, some of the reasons that people can't come is I'm off hiking, you know, Everest, or I'm going to go take a train across Trans-Siberian. I'm like, well, okay, that's cool. But like, come, come to this conference. It's pretty cool, too. Um, so I think one of the realities that, is, that has hit us as a team is just like trying to actually track down these nomads is, is quite a, a challenge. Um, unless you're like in, in a, like a digital nomad hub, such as like Chiang Mai or Bali, or um, actually Medellin's becoming a hub. But, but unless you're like integrating in them a little bit longer, it's really hard to find what, like what we call the secret nomads. Um, so our team does a lot of research throughout the year of people that we, we come across that are like, that are really cool and maybe don't tell their story as loudly as others and that have something to share. Um, so I think, <laughs> I think that's kind of a, an interesting thing that we've learned along the way. Reality versus like, if we build it, they will come. And we're like, no, no, we have to like, really convince these people especially with like hot sauce coffee and food like that gets people to events you got to talk about the food um, but um logistically i think it's pretty much like any other event like you know as an event organizer i don't know your background but i, I understand that like it's kind of like putting on a show right like you know all the crazy crap in the background that's falling apart and you're like oh my god everything's happening but everyone else who's watching is like this is great we don't know anything that's going on so I think it's like a matter of just keeping your cool um, as you do in any event situation and um, knowing that like because you feel like something's not going right no one else knew that that was supposed to happen or not happen so they'll never they'll never know so I think that's a key to, to planning events in, in, in general. Yeah, no, de definitely some uh, great tips there. And, uh, you know, you mentioned, obviously, whole different set of circumstances when you do an event in your local city where you know people, you know the market, you know the language, you know the, uh, the all the venues. But when you're doing a different city, different country, different continent, you don't know the venues, you don't know the people, you don't know the language. And, of course, in uh, Colombia, it's in Spanish, and Barcelona, Spanish, too. And uh, tell us about the next four years. So uh, have you already decided... The actual cities and countries, obviously, you know the continents, uh, but the cities and countries, have you guys made the decision? Uh, walk us through how the next four years will look like. Yeah, so so right now we're at the, the struggle of next year because we're battling between Australia and New Zealand. Um, so we don't actually know the, the city. We actually will announce the next city in the end of this conference. So we'll have it sorted out probably in the next month or so, but under wraps until October. Um, I think New Zealand might be gunning out, but we have a lot. I don't know. We'll still see. I mean, what would, what would your vote be? Would you use New Zealand or Australia? Uh, you know what? Um, I actually lived in Sydney, Australia, and I've traveled extensively around Australia and New Zealand. I think it makes sense to do it in Australia just because it's ah. get to, it's more well-known, you'll have cheaper flights. New Zealand is kind of remote and out of the way, which can be a benefit, but also it can be a barrier, right? So if you just... Okay. If you're just doing it on uh, wanting people to come in terms of maximizing the numbers, I think Sydney makes sense just because it's the hub. You can get flights from anywhere in the world to Australia. And people are already based there too, so you already have a community there. People from Australia can easily get there. People from Asia can get there. New Zealand, I just have a little bit of a hesitation there. But I'm curious to see how it will turn out. But yeah, my vote would be definitely Sydney, Australia. Sydney, Australia. All right. One vote down. 
There you now go. you're making it more difficult again. We thought we had a, a leaning. All right, I'll keep it in mind. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then after Australia, New Zealand, we have um, Africa. So depending, I, I mean, like imagining South Africa at this point, but who knows what's going to happen in the next few years or what comes up or so um, can't really say. And then the ending is North America. And we haven't, we haven't quite decided on a city for that yet. So there's a handful of them. Like Vancouver could be one. I mean, it's, it's too boring for me to plan an event there. So I'm like, maybe not. Uh, also, it's cold in October. I don't like colds. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then after that, Antarctica, which is pretty much planning itself. So I'm not too worried about Antarctica here, but I'm pretty excited. <laughs> you would think Antarctica would be the hardest one in terms of like uh, the actual location. I didn't know if they have big right. conference venues and also costs, right? Uh, because yes. it's not easy or cheap to get to Antarctica. Uh, you can helicopter your way there. You can take a cruise from Ushuaia. Uh, how is Antarctica going to look like? Because I think people are curious on, I know it's still a distance way away, but what do you kind of foresee or project for Antarctica? Totally. So um, we had this like angel sent to us in our first year. Her name's Heather. And she is also a digital nomad, but she does Arctic expeditions. She's been down to Antarctica like 30 something times. So she reached out and she wrote this long email about all the stuff that we need to do and what ships we can have and blah, 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 blah. Um, and we actually had her on stage last year doing a Q&A about Antarctica and answering some of the questions like, is it cold? And, you know, will I get seasick? And, and yes and yes, potentially, but no and no also. So you should go back and maybe check out the Q&A. It's really interesting. It's on, it's on our website. Um, but Antarctica is actually going to be really easy for us. We're going to go from boat from Ushuaia to Antarctica. So um, we've taken, we take deposits. So we've taken three, we have guaranteed three people coming with us. So there's six already. Um, and then we just, we just fill the boat based off of the capacity of how many people um, come. So there's not a lot of planning. We'll do the conference, conference. It'll be more like a workshop, Skillshare, Mastermind on the boat down and then just spend time hanging out in Antarctica for, for a bit and then come back up. So it's, it's more of an experience than like a full-on conference, but there will definitely be some learnings and some talks. And hopefully, I'm, I'm hoping like 20 of us would be really cool, but I know it's a huge money commitment. Um, but we're going to try to set up a payment plan over the next couple of years so that people can start saving up to, to get going. So. And I know this, Kyrie. you've already got the domain name. 193 and 193 because once you do all the seven continents you got to do all 193 countries right uh, oh my kidding. gosh I, I, I how do you even do that <laughs> you'll live long enough to do all 193 in terms of doing conferences on each one every year unless there's a miracle um you know 193 gene that comes out but what are your plans yeah. after seven and seven do you have any idea how it's going to look like or do you kind of just want to leave that to four years from now <laughs> um, I think we're probably just leaving it to four years from now. Our team generally, we come up with ideas for after seven and seven all the time. And then we're like, wait, whoa, why are we doing this? Like, <laughs> like let's get to where we need to go first. Um, but I don't know. Who knows what would happen after seven, seven, hopefully like space. That would be cool. Like, why not? Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, we don't have any, we have seven conferences and seven years and seven continents. And then who knows what's next. The sky is no longer the limit, right? Exactly. Yeah. On the moon. <laughs> so in terms of the actual um, logistics and in terms of the actual conference, uh, we didn't really get into that. Uh, what kind of speakers do you have? What kind of topics? 
how long is the event and the conference and the workshops? How does it look like day by day? Uh, why didn't you paint us a picture of how the actual conference looks like? Totally, totally. So, um, so 7 and 7 is a conference for experienced digital nomads. So generally we um, have a rule where you have to be a nomad for at least a year so that you kind of understood the, like, the way that you like to travel, um, how you run your business on the road. You kind of figured out all the, the financial things and like the training wheels aspect of digital nomad life. Um, and we do this just to keep the conversation higher level because we don't actually, um, with our speakers and presenters, talk about, you know, there's some aspects of business, but we don't talk about like how to hustle or how to like make $2,000 um, on a, an even launch or whatever. I don't know. All of the, all of the, the technical business marketing stuff, we, we kind of shy away from because um, there's tons of resources out there for nomads who want to learn how to like start their business online. There's a couple other conferences as well. So ours specifically focuses on um, topics such as uh, the, the kind of like revolve around the lifestyle long term. Because we found that in like the first year to two years, maybe around the two year mark, if you're a solo nomad, it can be kind of tricky to stay in the lifestyle because you get very lonely and you you hit that wall where you're like, okay, well, I'm traveling, I'm doing all this stuff, but like, what what's next? What more? Um, so a lot of our topics and conversations are like, how to have kids on the road, travel with kids, which I'm sure, which I'm sure you could completely blow out of the water and add to that. Um, how to travel with pets. How do you save for retirement? How do you um, set up a system so that if there's any family emergencies back home, you're prepared for that? How do you maintain a community while you travel? How do you figure out that you should do hobbies? Um, when do you stop working? Like, where is your work-life balance? Like, all of those kinds of things that are more revolved around the lifestyle and how to, like, create this life for the long term and be happy and not stressed and not lonely to find your people essentially. So, so that's kind of the rounded picture of seven and seven. Um, we have this year, it's what we like to call like the week long experience because the last two years people have just been wanting more. So we've extended it a little further and a little further. Um, so for the first, it starts on a, the 16th, Tuesday, October 16th, and that's kind of like meetups. We have this app where everyone can do their own meetups. Like last year, there was like cryptocurrency meetup. There was a um, flight hacking, like all of these other kind of things that people um, want to talk about. And then we have two days of workshops on Thursday and Friday. So there's two workshops each day. Um, and these will be more tangible and concrete. Like last year, we had like how to how to publish an ebook was one, how to um, be internet and data secure, we had how to, um, what else is there? How to stay healthy on the road, those kinds of things. And then the main conference days are on the weekend. Um, and those are two days full of speakers. So we'll have 10 speakers. Um, and it's just, there's a lot of time during the day. Like we, we started at 10 a.m. because our whole team is not early birds, even though those days were pretty early awake. But <laughs> like, let's get started at 10, have a bit of coffee. Everyone's awake. Um, those early birds have already gone for their run and, and showered and had three course breakfast. <laughs> so yeah, start at 10. It's very casual. Um, we usually end around like 5.36 ish, have five speakers come on, but then there's a big lunch break. That's a couple hours long, um, where we do breakout sessions and people are allowed to put any kind of topics they want to talk about or discuss. And we just leave a lot of time for like organic connection at the event so people have a lot of time to talk because generally I think most events like you think you're going for the speakers 
and our speakers are wonderful and they set the stage for conversation, but you're actually going to meet the people. Like, I don't think anyone's ever been like, oh, I went to this conference and the best thing I got out of it was so-and-so on stage with this. Like, of course, they, they give advice that's very important and useful, um, but the people you remember are the ones that you actually connect with. So that's what we like to kind of harness. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. The networking is the key. Uh, a lot of the times I'll go to conferences and I'll actually just skip the speakers. Uh, <laughs> if there's like this world class like speaker that I really want to see, then I'll, I'll sit in the session. But I'll have the most amazing conversations in the hallways and like you said, in the lineups for coffee or lunch and just sitting in the carpet uh, in the middle of nowhere. And you have these really solid, deep connections that have become lifelong connections and business partnerships and romantic relationships and who knows what else so uh yeah. as you as you quite demonstrated well because you were at a, another conference um you know wds and then boom here you go you created a whole business around what happened through there right yeah it's crazy yeah. conferences are so important it's it's so important to meet the people that are like in the same sort of life situations or interested in the same things and to have that kind of network and community is is key especially if you're a nomad and you're traveling all the time you need to find those people that you can that can be like, hey, yeah, I'll meet you in um, Thailand next week. And you're like, cool, let's go there then for a month. Like, how many people do that? It's awesome. I love it. <laughs> exactly. It's definitely an amazing, amazing lifestyle with all the struggles and challenges that are associated with it, too. So mm -hmm. in terms of um, uh, conference production, event production, uh, doing retreats overseas, etc., this is actually a great way that digital nomads can fund their lifestyle by hosting an overseas conference event, a retreat. And I'm curious to know, since you've done it quite extensively in Vancouver and in Canada, but now uh, obviously around the world as well, you have learned from experience what works and what doesn't work. And I'd love for you to relay advice and tips and suggestions for people who are just starting out in terms of event production, but in terms of event production on a global uh, intercontinental scale. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think one of the biggest tips and advice is to first thing check all holidays in whatever country you're hosting it in, um, whether it's religious or governmental or um, any sort of celebration or kind of big national event. Like those things will derail you if you, if you uh, don't pay attention to them. And it'll also uh, mess up all of your logistics prior to because, for example, in Spain, who knew August was the month of sleeping and no one answers their phones or their emails? I mean, so uh, September became a lot busier, which is fine. You can adjust to it, but it's nice to kind of understand the lay of the, like the country and how they operate and how people um, understand timelines. And that's the number one key. Um, seven and seven, randomly, hopefully nothing this year, but uh, the first year when we were in Thailand, the king passed away like a week and a half before before events. So that, that was huge. That's a huge global, even global thing. Um, but in Thailand, it was it was massive. So so just being aware culturally of things that are happening, and how to be sensitive and appropriate around stuff like that. Um, uh, and then in Barcelona last year, there were the um, the protests between Catalonia and, and Spain. So that was that was huge as well. We had thousands and thousands and thousands of people in the streets. So um, I don't know what's going to happen this year. We hope nothing, but. So sometimes you just have these things where like, you know, in your own country, or your own city, you're, you can kind of adjust to, to things that change. But like in a different country, you're like, I don't even know. I don't know the language. I don't even know why um, this is happening. So you definitely need to take into consideration country differences. 
Um, and another big one is email communications and video communications are, your, are key. So if you can't actually see the venue yourself, um, you need to be able to communicate how to get them to walk you through the venue, know what you're looking for, um, ask all the questions, capacity, are you allowed coffee in the space, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then email is, is a huge communication kind of curve as well if you're doing it internationally because sometimes um, you need to just really understand how you're coming across an email with different cultures um, and different people and some, some can respond super speedy and some you realize are like a week response time and you need to be able to adjust to that and hopefully like increase or decrease your timeline of planning um, accordingly in whatever country you're in. So it is a little bit of a learning curve if anyone's starting out or has any questions feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to talk about it all the time, but yeah, <laughs> I think generally just those two things are key. Yeah, great advice, great advice. And uh, you know, as an event producer, uh, I'm sure you can relate to the filling up the seats, right? Uh, at the end of the day, you gotta fill up the seats, fill up the seats, fill up the seats. So what have you found works? Uh, because you can have the best event in the world, the most amazing speakers, the best topics, and the best city and country and continent, but it's so hard to fill up seats. Uh, sometimes it'll just be like, boom, it fills yeah. it up, it's sold out, like uh, you mentioned, the call to action kind of conferences. And then sometimes it's not as easy. So what strategies have you found in terms of kind of the general easy strategies that most people know about, email marketing, social media marketing, video marketing, but also maybe some creative out of the box, because you guys are definitely out of the box thinkers. What have you guys done on a traditional level but also on terms of a non-traditional, non-conventional level. Yeah, I think um, I think if you have something like, for example, like called action, you have a larger budget, you have a team, you have um, an audience that you've already connected with, it can be a lot easier to just rely on like email marketing and blasting emails and, and conversations in that sense. Um, so for us, it's very much more like grassroots. Like we literally sit and research people that we want to invite and we'll flirt with them online and we'll be like, like in their Instagram photos and being like, I love your, your dog. So cute. Um, so our team definitely spends a lot of time um, reaching out to people individually, sending voice memos, being like, Hey, we'd really love for you to join us. That's a really cool way of doing it. We've um, done some videos with our sponsors where we'll just send them videos in an email and be like, Hey, this is what we're all about. This is how we want you involved. Um, it's really hard digitally, I think even in business in general, to get people to interact with you just via an email, like, hey, cold email, how's it going? Like you really need to put the, the effort in, especially in smaller scale events, if it's up to like 100, put the effort in to find people, connect with them, make them feel like they want to come. I think that's, that's huge. And I think that's helped us a lot. Um, and, then, and then as it grows, obviously word of mouth, um, the digital nomad space is quite small, so it's nice now going to something like a meetup here in Mexico and someone's like, Oh, I know seven and seven. And I'm like, yes, like three years in. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, you just need to wait till the traction kind of comes, I guess. Um, and as it grows, it, it gets more and more exciting. And then, and then hopefully tickets will just be like, Boom, sold, done. Bye. So it's only that easy, right? <laughs> right. I know. Right? <laughs> it's, it's also tricky too, because ours is like, ours is always in October. So it'll be in October next year and it'll be in October the year after. Um, but it's, it's really hard to nail down nomad plans. Like no one, like some, actually some are very, very strategic in their planning and know like the next year to a T. But generally I think most people are like, Oh, I'll just go with the flow and see what happens. And so, so yeah, trying to convince them to travel our way is a, is a thing that we work on a lot. So. 
Yeah, you know, I've done like 450 interviews. I think I'm the person with the most number of digital nomad interviews in the world. And I always ask questions around like, okay, what are your future plans? And most of my guests are like, I don't even know what I'm going to do tomorrow or next week or next month. You're asking right. me about a year from now? Uh, the very minority know. They're like, okay, I have a plan. I'm going to be in Europe next year. I'll be this city. And uh, uh, most other ones, they're like, I think I know the hotel and there BB I'll be until the end of the month and we'll see if I like yeah. this place I'm going to stay here if not I'm off to the next location so I totally can relate to your struggles there in terms of uh, you know what you're trying to do but you've done a phenomenally obviously two years mm -hmm. done 30 on its way and then four more to go so if people yeah, want to, you know join cool. this year um, in Colombia or one of the future ones in Africa or Australia or New Zealand or North America <laughs> or Antarctica um, what's the website What's the process to register? Uh, how much does it cost? Give us those details. Totally. So the website is 7in7, so 7in7.co. Um, we're really excited to get that one. It's like a four-letter four domain. All right. <laughs> it's so cool. Um, so, yeah, easy. That's where we are on social as well, 7in7.co on everything. Um, and tickets right now, actually, we just missed the early bird ticket sales. So they've... Um, bumped up to 579 and um, are available just online. You can just go to the, the domain and it's right at the top. Buy tickets now. Um, but if anyone's listening and really wants to come and wants to ask me any questions, I might be able to work something for you. So uh, definitely reach out to me if you're interested in or listening to this. Um, we have a few tickets left still. I'm thinking probably about 20. So um, we'd love to fill that out and love to have more awesome nomads there. Um, where are you this October, Ricky? It's you bring the whole fam jam, you should come. Yeah, we, we don't know. You can stalk me online and like my kids' pictures. I will, I will, I will. I'm going to work on you. You see it. Uh, you know what? Uh, I, I believe we'll still be in Asia. Like, we actually have a yeah. plan, too. Uh, I might as well share that while we're on this interview here. Um, yeah. So last year was a South America year. I wish you'd done the conference in Medellin last year when we were there oh, last year. Right? And here we are in Asia. And we missed the Bangkok thing. So our paths haven't crossed yet. Um, <laughs> so we've done our... South America year, we're doing an Asia year. Next year, we're actually planning the Middle East and Africa. Then we want to do a Europe year, and then we want to do um, Australia. And then we're, we're trying to actually live in the seven continents. So we're doing something similar to you, but we're planning to like live um, for a year or more in each place. So who knows where our paths will cross? I don't mm -hmm. think, but- It's a long job, well, especially- I might end up in Medellin in October. Who knows, who knows? Who knows? Uh, yeah. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. So we'll, we'll leave yeah. it up to the universe, God, and let's see what he decides. And then yeah. we'll see, we might see you there in Medellin, but otherwise we might see you in Auckland, New Zealand, or Sydney, Australia. We might see you in Cape Town, uh, South Africa. We might see you in our common home province Anywhere. of British Columbia. Yeah. <laughs> but That's I'm the sure excitement of, us, of so, the uh, life. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so once again, uh, seven and seven dot co. What a cool domain yeah. name! Yeah, that's yeah. that's the place, and that's the same on all social media channels. So, and you can reach out to me. My name is Kiri Melnick, which I'm sure will be in here somewhere. K Y R I E, um, and that's my social media as well. Just my first and last name. Ask me any questions. If you have questions about nomad life, or if you have questions about remote event planning, I'm happy to help. I love chatting with new people. So. There you go. And make sure you pronounce it Kiri, not Kyrie. Sorry, I know. I, I've had this so many times in my life where I just let people do it. And it's like, oh, sorry. 
Um, I had a friend who I went to university with and she called me Kyrie for three months and then I finally told her and she was so mad at me and I'm like, I'm sorry, I need to stop being so Canadian and I just need to say it. But, yeah. uh, but I'm used to both now, to be honest, so, but yes. Whatever works, whatever works. Whatever works. We don't call you like Sally or Susan. Yeah, that would be awkward. I mean, who's that? (laughs) There you go. So uh, thank you so much. It was uh, a joy and a pleasure to to, to connect with you, a fellow Canuck, and then also a fellow event producer, fellow nomad. Uh, I can definitely see some kindred spirits here, so I'm sure our paths will cross again. And I'll definitely be promoting uh, what you guys are doing. So keep up the great work. Uh, Definitely wishing you all the best over there in uh, amazing Medellin, Colombia. And thanks for being on our show here today. Thanks so much for having me, Ricky. It was great chatting. It was great chatting indeed. Uh, So once again, 77 and also daddyblogger.com, digitalnomadmastery.com. I will catch up with you guys in the next episode. Happy traveling.